Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. And Tractor Zoom's Iron Comps. Iron Comps is a great place to see what's going on in the auction market. And if you're interested in using that, use Moving Iron at checkout to get yourself a discount. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And Sean is nice enough to come on once a week to talk about what's going on in the marketplace and I feel like, Sean, since we started doing this, we've had ample things to talk about, and today is no different. Let's talk, let's take a look at what's going on right now with oil. Um, there is a cargo ship that is wedged in the Suez Canal, and about 10 or 12% of the world's oil goes through that uh, little sliver of, of uh, land there. And uh, right now that has got some people scared about the overall supply and disruption of trade in the oil marketplace so sean talk about oil and then what effect you could see that having on the you know the short-term ethanol marketplace well we did see oil up what a three or four dollars a barrel yesterday on this news i mean i'm sure they'll they'll push it to the side or you know i mean i'm sure they can get it moved out of the way and, and so within a week they can probably get it reopened but i think the bigger picture is how fragile our global trade yeah. mechanism is. I mean, just think all you know, those that are, have evil thoughts, maybe they can figure out a way to close that canal another way. Well, you know, they, I mean, it just opens up all kinds of ideas of how you could completely mess up the uh, global economy just by having that little sliver of water backed up. I mean, it's, it just, we just have our situation. We just don't have any room for, for, for mishap. And it, and it once again, brings to mind that stockpiling important commodities that you need, energy being one of them, is going to continue to be the idea that we need to have more on hand in our country than relying on just-in-time inventory because what if something more serious happens there? Some terrorist goes there and I don't know what they could do, but I'm sure they could figure something out that maybe it could be closed down for a month. Yeah, you know? so, that'd be a huge deal. Yeah, it it really yeah. brings out the idea that you want to have stockpiled reserves, strategic supplies in your country, and you know I think that that concept's going to continue to be a a, a a bit in our markets and in commodity markets for quite some time to come. And this just reinforces what the virus already brought out that we really are you know, just we just don't have any slack in the system anymore. 
So. Yep. All right, so let's jump over and talk about some monetary policies real quick, just what we see happening out there, the strength of the dollar, and what we see going on with that. Federal Reserve has um, pretty much stated that they're not going to um, change the Fed rate from 0% unless they just absolutely, without any other course of action, have to. Um, right now, the dollar is uh, in a very attractive spot for exports. So I guess as you take a look at the strength of the dollar and where we're at coming into this this summer, spring and summertime export season. What are your thoughts there? Well, I think right now, because we had this big, big sell-off in bonds and this big increase in interest rates, parabolic increase, by the way. Mm -hmm. you know, if you look at the charts, it's parabolic. Yeah, it's quite a big spike. You know, when you have an over-leveraged economy, like the U.S. government is, like corporations are, you know, everyone's loaded up with debt, um, you know, just look at the housing market. I forget what the number was, but we were down double digits in uh, in home sales because of mortgage rates backing up and the marginal buyer, buyer saying, you know, I'm going to hold back now, just like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, the, you know, the, 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 the I think the stock market, which has been kind of stumbling here, commodity market's been under some pressure, like copper has been getting hit, even crude oil down $10 a barrel. I think people worried that this backup in rates is going to be a headwind to the economic recovery and the Federal Reserve said, look, we're not going to yield curve control cases when they print money to buy the long bond, to pump up the long bond prices, to lower the interest rates. They said we're not going to do anything unless we're forced to. And I don't think the market wanted to hear that. I think the market wanted to hear that they were ready to act and they said that they're really going to wait. And the dollar, that's brought a bit in the dollar and, and sort of brought in some kind of a an idea that maybe this inflation trade got a little overheated or got a little, you know, people got a little ahead of itself. And so we're starting to see speculators selling our commodity markets. And that may continue for a while unless the Federal Reserve changes their their current stance that just gonna, they're going to wait for a crisis right. to do something, you know? Yep. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, uh, very tricky situation that's worth paying attention to. There's a lot, a lot of moving parts there. There is. Um, Especially when you look at where the rates, how they jumped up from, you know, from two and a half percent on a house, uh, two point seven five percent. Now they're up to like three point six, three point five percent. So I mean, that was a that's a pretty big jump in a month. I mean, that's a well, ju well just remember all the money that we're borrowing this this new two trillion dollars. Oh yeah, thing and you know, I mean, you you back with thirty trillion in debt, you back up rates <laughs> just a little bit. I mean, all of a sudden the interest payments on the debt start to consume. Almost the entire taxable income of the country, you're getting yourself into a real pickle. So yeah. it's a big problem, and they're going to have to come in and do yield curve control because the government won't be able to operate unless they unless they do. The question is, when will they? How long will they wait? How bad will things need to get before they do it? Because the inflation really starts, Casey, when they print money to buy the long bond. That's when the inflation trade really goes. And that's when the U.S. dollar gets sacrificed because the only way, if they're going to support the bond market artificially, then the currency has to adjust for the inflation. Um, and that's when we really get the inflation trade going. But we're not quite there yet. The Fed is just saying we're not ready yet. We're not, we don't want to do it yet. And so that, that's, but that's what brings the current correction in markets, provides an opportunity because I'm positive later on this year they're going to have to do that. And when they do, it's going to be a wild situation from an inflation trade perspective. So everybody needs to kind of keep that in mind that 
these corrections that we're seeing and, and we probably are going to see into the spring will be an opportunity for those that need to buy, be on the buy side of these markets. Yep. So, Yep. All right. So one, one thing we've talked about a lot here the last oh, 30 days, 45 days is the wheat market. And I can't help myself but talk about it. But there is a now you've talked about it a lot on here. We're, we're at that 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 bearish level now here. And, you know, I've read there's three articles that I've looked at here. One talking about big Aussie crops um, because of some heavy rains that they're going to get in some of their key growing areas. Russia's talking about wheat production export outlooks being being boosted for the coming year. Um, China's all geared up to buy a bunch of French wheat because somehow they can produce higher quality wheat than anybody else can. Yada yada yada. So all this all this, you know, really good news coming out about how great and awesome the world crop's gonna be, and then um, you know, it's it's the best year ever it's setting up for that. But uh, I have a hard time believing that, especially even if, even if, even if we get the rains that we need and those kind of things, there will be some winter kill damage out there. I mean, I don't know how you can avoid that with what we had come through, um, you know, negative twenty to negative forty, depending on where you are at in the wheat belt, uh, with you know a skiff of snow in, in a lot of places. So, like Sean, let's let's talk about wheat for a minute. I. I uh, to me, wheat is that one thing out there that just doesn't get the news or get the coverage that everything else does. And, and finally, when it does break out, it breaks out in a huge way up or down. So talk about the wheat market we see happening there. Well, just remember, Australia had two years in a row of a half a wheat crop. Right, exactly. Because of the drought. Yes. So all they've done is gone back to where they normally were. Right. So they're just back to normal. Uh, so they're really, there's nothing new about that. I mean... Uh, so that's just just the market just trying to talk something that because they don't have anything else to talk about. In terms of production, no one has any idea what production will be until you get through the heading phase, which is mid-April to late May. Right. Until you get through that, everyone's just speculating because they say, well, we had some good rains in March. Well, that means everything's going to be great. Well, they don't know. It's just speculation. We don't know. Um, our natural climate, climate cycle algorithm work does not support uh, that this moisture that we had in March is going to continue into that key heading stage, meaning that we're going to see a, a hot, dry pattern develop between mid-April and mid-late May in both the U.S. and Ukraine, Russia. And that means that all this optimism about improved production is really um, not, not going to materialize. And, of course, as you know, Casey, winter kill damage is, it can't really be assessed until after the heading phase anyway, because right. that's when you really see how much how much strength does the, does the wheat crop really have, how much yield is it really going to put out there. And that's when you start to see, oh, my gosh, it, it's not, it's not we're not seeing things develop the way that it should, and, and that's when you really find out what kind of winter kill damage was. So, But, look, they do this every year. Uh, the, the grain markets every year, we get into late March, and everyone says, oh, my gosh, it's going to be a great year, best ever. Everyone should sell everything. Just remember last year at this time, we were supposed to have 3.3 billion bushel carryout for corn. It's all over. You, you know, selling $3 corn is a great idea. And, you know, now we're looking at carryouts of a billion five or less. So it's just happens every year and it always offers or, or, or gives opportunities to buy on these breaks. Um, so I would not give much of this bearish talk much worth. 
It happens every year. It's the way the market psychology is. But the way we look at the weather, Casey, and you know we've been very clear about this in your program for quite a while, this is a drought cycle. We're not entering into a good weather cycle this year for the U.S. So any opportunity that stems here into, let's say, April or May is going to be led by a violent reaction back up as the market starts to look at this hot, dry pattern and says, my goodness, looks like we could have a third below trend line yield crop in a row at a time that our stocks are you know, dilapidated. So, so all I say is, um, at least for wheat, which was the original question, most of the downside's done. We think, actually think we're probably at a pretty good low point here in KC winter wheat. We think there's a good opportunity for cash buyers to get on the buy side because we think we're pretty much at a low here. And guys, if you go back and listen to some of the earlier podcasts that we had this time last year when we were, when, when we were supposed to have a similar weather pattern, what we saw in 2019 for 2020 and and sean was saying nope it's going to be the earliest planting season ever um we're going to have a we're going to have a drought and those kind of things and some a, a moderate monitor moderate drought in in some some of the growing areas and and it's going to do and so i'm just saying pay attention to what sean's saying go back and listen to these past podcasts uh, from a year ago and you'll you'll hear what we're talking about right now and and sean was right so i mean it's just it's just one more one more thing out there when when talking about the weather that Sean has been been right about. So definitely go back and listen to that stuff. Let's go ahead. All right, Sean, let's jump over and talk about um, the hog market for a little bit here. The African swine fever has uh, reared its ugly head again. Um, never really went away. Just kind of got put on the back burner of reporting. But there's been some new outbreaks and some in some of the new areas of of uh, China, where they've gone back in and and you know more corporatized type um, large scale swine operations, which has raised some concerns uh, with uh, how bad is this African swine fever actually in China right now? So talk about the hog complex what you see happening there. Unfortunately, because China is not transparent with their data, we really have no idea, Casey, yeah. how bad or not bad it is. What I do know is that if you look at Russia and you look at Europe where they've had, you know, they had African swine fever a decade ago, it will never go away. They will always have African swine fever. It will always be that there will always be episodes just like the COVID-19 will never go away, Casey. Right. It's going to be like the flu. Every year we're going to have people that get infected with COVID. Every year there'll be new strains. Every year there'll be a new vaccine with, that does a better job. But every, you know, it's, it's never going to go away. So um, I don't view this as anything earth-shattering or new. It never was going to go away. But I do believe that the, that the shock part of the, of the African swipe here is behind the Chinese. I do think they know how to handle it. They've moved from backyard operations to these large-scale corporate operations. They can handle this better. They can contain it better. Um, and so I don't think this is going to be a major impact. I mean, the market might react to it short term. Speculators might sell uh, grains because they're worried about feed demand, or they might buy hogs because they think it means more demand for pork. But I really believe those kinds of short term reactions are not really going to change the long term trajectory that they have their hand around it. They're going to grow production for pork. And when you really think about feed demand, it used to be that half of all pork production came from these backyard operations. We had five pigs in the back, and they fed them scraps off the table. That's not happening anymore. Those scraps are being replaced by corn and bean meal. And so actually, the demand for corn and bean meal are, are actually permanently higher now right. because all these 
pigs that used to be fed scraps are no longer being fed scraps or being fed corn and bean meal. We really don't, we don't really think it's a big impact. It makes a great headline and, and, and it can create some distortions short term, but we wouldn't buy into that uh, for beyond just short term reactions, Casey. We really don't think it's a big deal on a longer term basis. We think feed demand is going to be strong. We think pork production there is going to be strong and we don't think it's, it's going to have a, the kind of impact that they had a couple of years ago when they were not prepared for it at that time. Yep. So another signal that we're starting to see um, out of the economy for the uh, for just the overall reopening of of the U.S. and what that looks like. Um, cattle prices finally broke past that one fourteen mark for the you know whatever it was seven or eight weeks or nine weeks or whatever it was that that it was at that one fourteen range. So we got into that one fifteen to one fifteen fifty. Um, range across the plains in the midwest here um wednesday what's what are your thoughts there and then is this a launching point to go higher or is this just kind of a new norm or uh, which market case uh, for cattle i'm sorry oh for, oh, for the cattle yeah. market um we're much more constructive the cattle market later in the year than we are right now the problem with the cattle market is we still have a throughput problem Casey, we still have a throughput problem, meaning we can only move. You know, the, 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 the pork side of the equation has done, has done a better job at being able to bring the animals through and they have better capacity, and they've done it. But the cattle packing houses have just not been, are not able to move these animals any faster than they're doing it. So, so, so even if the demand is there for it, there's just a limit to how much they can bid up these animals given the current. Uh, supply of animals and the weights of those animals, but later in the year, a we think they're going to get some extra capacity coming online, and we also think that the supply coming from cows gonna, is going to drop back, and we think we can get into a better balance where they're going to have to bid up for animals. Well, right now they just can't bring any through the packing houses, and so we just we think there's a limit to how far we can move these cattle prices up, um, despite. You know, what demand is right now and so so i wouldn't say we're outright bearish we think we can move a little higher but we think the upside is limited we would look for later in the year for some more dynamic upside and as you know if we're correct about this crazy winter we're expecting yeah what that could mean for cattle prices we could be looking at some kind of a big spike trade in that january february march we get these endless polar vortexes heavy snowstorms i mean you only can imagine what it'll mean to the death of these cattle animals, the lack of feeding them, the lower weights, all that goes on with them. Um, you know, it could be one of the most severe uh, drops in cattle supply that we've seen in, in recent memory, if we're correct about that. So we would be focusing our bullish thoughts for later on in the year into the wintertime. All right, so weekly export report comes out this week, and do you foresee any big news to come out of that? We really don't, Casey. We think we're kind of on autopilot with that right now. I think mm -hmm. everyone's focused on next Wednesday's planting intentions report right. and quarterly grain stocks report. I think everything else, nobody really cares. They just whatever about that because uh, at least the acres at least give an initial idea of what we're looking at from the acreage side. And the quarterly grain stocks it gives another read on how much do we actually have according to our uh, beloved USDA. So um, uh, it's hard to imagine farmers not planting a lot of both corn and soybeans. Right, yeah, um, yeah. And, and it wouldn't surprise me they plant more of both than the market's expecting. It's just hard to imagine that that you aren't going to, I mean, I'm planting corn in my backyard right now. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> my, my six rows of, of sweet corn. There, there you go. <laughs> Jumping in so on I'm, this. I, I'm worried, Casey, yeah. for next week because speculators as a percentage of open interest, their long positions are at the high, they have tied the highest on record, meaning they're all in on the long side. And given that we've been seeing speculators selling crude oil and selling copper and they've been selling some wheat here, boy, I'm just worried they might just get caught all in on the one side and they don't like this report next Wednesday and they just feel they want to get out all at the same time and could cause, you know, kind of a, a knockdown that we haven't seen in a while. I just, I'm just worried about that, Casey. I yeah. just think it's set up for it. And, and I certainly, if I'm, if I'm a producer or, you know, on the cast side, I, I, I would just try to protect myself in case we get a, some crazy limit down move on Wednesday or something. Cause the, the market just doesn't really get surprised or whatever they say. I, I just think it's time to, to manage some downside risk here. Um, it just my experience says that one needs to just be careful of that, especially if they got some corn to move, or they they just I just don't think you know we, we could drop corn to four seventy five five dollars really easily, and and it wouldn't change the bull's outlook, but it would dramatically change short term ability to, to monetize your crop, and and I just think you just need to keep keep a balance right now, yep. you know. So how do you think cotton's going to play in that and in the southern corn belt? So I've been talking to some of my friends down there that are there in the south, and they're not – I mean, some guys are talking about cotton equipment, how much you're doing there, but there's still this kind of like a – still seems like a status quo with how the corn-cotton mix that's and bean mix that's down in the south. So I guess as you, as you look at that, do you feel like, especially where the price of cotton is right now, do you – do you anticipate that cotton is going to take over a lot of those those traditional cotton acres that got switched over to corn in, in the south? As you know, Casey, the problem with cotton is because the investment in equipment and infrastructure is so high that, that if you've moved away from it, it's, it's not so easy necessarily just to snap your finger and move back to Jump it. back in it, yeah. And you kind of have to do some long-term planning with that. So I, I, think, I think if cotton remains at current prices for another year i think some long-term changes will occur i don't think we have enough time for that to happen i mean remember we originally lose a bunch of acres right three or four months ago that's no longer going to happen so i still think your core acres are going to get in the ground and, and every bit of that's going to be done i don't really think a lot of new acres are going to go for cotton just because i don't think the market necessarily believes the cotton price is going to stay this high for the longer term and i just don't believe they've had enough time or the confidence to make those long-term investments to get some of those cotton acres back. They might do that a year from now, but I don't, I don't really think they're going to do that this year. I think that, you know, the current acres that, that, that are out that we've been planning this is, we're not going to lose them, but I don't think we're going to gain too much either. I think it's going to be pretty much what we've been seeing. Right on. That's kind of what, that was kind of the feedback that I was getting from, uh, from my friends down there in the South. So what I will, what I will say though, um, for cotton, uh, you know, it's had kind of a big setback here, uh, like many commodities have had. And um, But remember that we're going into a drought cycle, especially for the state of Texas. Um, and we're going into another very difficult hurricane season, which, of course, always impacts the southeast, the deep south, and into Texas. So uh, I have no doubt in my mind that we're going to see some weather spikes in cotton later on in the growing season. So... Even though prices are under some pressure, I don't think the market's going to be willing to give up too much more ground with those two weather prongs out there. Uh, I think the market's going to stick a bit in here and, and hold it 
because I do think there could be some upward spikes that the mark that producers would want to sell to later this year. So, so while I might have been a little bearish, as you know, in the '90s, like we were, I'm kind of constructive here in the low '80s. I think we're we're pretty much nearing the the bottom end of this typical spring correction that you tend to get in cotton. You know, cotton always sends the top in March and correct into April, and we're doing that. So, yeah. uh, but I, I don't think there's much more downside here. I'd I would if I was a buyer of cotton, I'd stick some cash bids in right now. So. Right on, right on. Well, good stuff as usual, Sean. Folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what was going on in the uh, commodity marketplace or just how you can help them with their operation. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. As you know, we have interviews with you, interviews with Real Vision. We have sample reports, all kinds of stuff for people to get a good read of what we do to see if we can help them. Right on. So. Take advantage of those special reports, too, if you can get a, get your hands on one of those. It's a, it's a great way to uh, to see what Sean has to offer, and they're just piled full of great information. So, Sean, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Casey. Always a pleasure. Uh, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, go to movingironllc.com. You'll find all the podcasts, blogs, and as well, all the information about the Moving Iron Summit coming up in September 15th through the 17th in Nashville, Tennessee. If you're a dealer of any kind, you're more than welcome to join that. For all the information, go to movingironllc.com and click on the Moving Iron Summit tab at the top. That'll get you the uh, information for hotels, how to register for everything. Also see the agenda, and you'll see Sean on that agenda, and he is going to be giving a, a nice talk about about what's going to happen in the weather that time of the year, which, you know, Sean, we've talked about this before. That's going to be a pretty good window to what what could happen if everything starts to lay out like we've been talking about very timely i'm looking forward to it i think it's just it's just couldn't have timed any perfectly so uh i'm looking forward to hopefully we get a good uh, a good turnout and, and we get some good information to people yep. so if you haven't had a chance to check out our podcast that we did with dr valentina zarkova make sure you do that uh sean and i did a, a joint interview sean interviewed i just kind of was getting my mind blown but other than that it was it was uh it was a great great opportunity to to learn a lot about what was going on with with sun cycles and how the sun actually affects the earth and what's going on there we are working with her right now to do a part three to that that'll be more of a um kind of dive into how other things like co2 and those kind of things are playing into what we see happening so it should be another great opportunity to learn some stuff there so hopefully have some more information on that soon it's hard to believe this but dr zarkova is a very very busy woman she's got a million things going on so she's got a she's got a long uh long waiting list of people that want to talk to her so sean uh what were your thoughts on that that podcast that we did together with with dr val valentina zarkova like I said, it's just it's just tremendous to see how someone like her that is so knowledgeable and and to get that kind of high level perspective on what's going on. Uh, and for her, elementary was going on. like of course everyone knows this was going on. Right, of course. And it's yeah. such a dichotomy to what you hear from those that really don't know what's going on, that don't have the training, that don't have the science, you know, that don't have the degrees, that don't understand these things. And so it really was an eye opening. Uh, I, mean, it's, I mean, we've talked about a lot of these things, but she talked about it from such a, a higher level of knowledge that I really learned so much. And it also confirmed that a lot of things that we've talked about in your show that we are that we're on the right track with this stuff. You know that we're not, uh, you know that we're not crazy and thinking some of these things. I mean, you know, some people think we're, you know, we're we're out of left field, but we're really not. It's really actually the science is there. Thousands of papers are written about it, and um, 
and she's one of them that just say, well, of course, this is what's happening, and and then and and yet we're not we're not getting that balanced approach in the discussion about what drives the climate over the long term. And so I really th- think it's a and, and she and she was able we were able to do it in a way that I think those that are not scientists can still understand and grasp what it means and we try to kind of do that right Casey we oh, try yeah. to bring it to a to a level that most people could get their hands around the, the, the big picture items so I think it's very valuable I understood so. it right so if I understood it trust me <laughs> anybody anybody's can understand it all right well good stuff Sean uh, make sure you guys check out the Dryland Farmer podcast and uh, with Brent and Landon good, good podcast there a lot of great entertainment there you guys will enjoy that so with that I am Casey Seymour Sean Hackett Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here